Today's story is a folk tale from Punjab. It's about a girl who has married the king of Ghadiyals. We'll see that if you go back on your promise to a magical talking Ghadiyal family, bad things will happen to you. But if you do eventually keep your word, you might receive a mansion and heaps of gold. Welcome to Stories from India. This is a podcast that will take you on a journey through the rich mythology, folklore and history of the Indian subcontinent. I am Narad Muni, the celestial storyteller and the original Time Lord. With my ability to travel through space and time, I can bring you fascinating stories from the past, the present and the future. From the epic tales of the Mahabharat and Ramayana to the folk tales of the Panchatantra to stories of Akbar Birbal and Thenali Raman. I have a story for every occasion. The purpose of the stories is neither to pass judgment nor to indoctrinate. My goal is only to share these stories with people who may not have heard them before and to make them more entertaining for those who have. The girl looked at the river bank, absolutely terrified. She was surrounded by a large group of Kadiyals, all with their mouths wide open, grinning a toothy grin. She knew that she wouldn't last a minute under the water. The largest of the Kadiyals approached her, its razor-sharp teeth glistening as she cringed back in fear. Well, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. We will get to the suspenseful part and see if the girl managed to survive her encounter with the Ghadiyals. I guess if you're unfamiliar with the term Ghadiyal, maybe my intro didn't feel scary at all. Or maybe it still was. If you imagined a ghadiyal to be anything worse than a large, crocodile-like creature with extremely sharp teeth. As it happens, a large, crocodile-like creature with extremely sharp teeth, specially adapted to catch fish, is a really good description of a ghadiyal. The story begins on only a slightly different note. It begins with a girl. Let's call her Dulhan. She was running at top speed across her father's farms. Help! Help! There's a float! She screamed. The father, Besharam, was not impressed. He said that he didn't know why his daughter needed rescuing from a decorated platform on a truck, typically seen in a carnival. Also, he had just checked his old farmer's almanac and he was pretty sure 
there were no plans for a carnival. At least not for a few centuries. This was medieval India, after all. Dulhan caught her breath and clarified that she didn't mean that kind of a float. She meant float as in a group of crocodiles. Except these weren't crocodiles. These were ghadiyals. They were all basking in Besharam's field. The farmer knew that he had to do something about it. Those ghadiyals might completely ruin his crops and ruin him financially. But first, he had something much more important to fix. Dulhan, how many times have I told you? A group of crocodiles is called a float only when it is in the water. When it is on land, you call it a basque. It's in the name. You said it yourself. They were basking in the field. Then, Daddy, what do you call the group when some are in the water and some are on land? Do you call it a flask or a boat? Besharam wasn't impressed. Dad jokes were supposed to be his domain. He was a little ashamed not to have thought of that himself. The farmer decided that some diplomacy was the need of the hour. He would try talking to the ghadiyals. He certainly didn't have powerful allies to fight back against encroachment. And besides, when he reached the ghadiyals, he saw that they hadn't meant to trample down on all his crops. They were just playing some kind of a sport. Besharam's field seemed to have been converted into a bowling alley for the ghadiyals. The reptiles seemed to be part of a club called the Alley Gators. Besharam looked at it and winced. Everyone in this story seemed to be making dad jokes, except for the real dad. He cleared his throat, but no one seemed to pay him any attention. Excuse me, Mr. Ghadial, sir, he said to one Ghadial, who seemed to be their leader. Beshiram wasn't quite sure. Something in its manner gave him that impression. Or maybe it was the only one wearing a crown. The Ghadial king, whose name was Raja, turned a lazy glance at him and said, Buddy, you and I have to talk about encroachment. Before Besharam could say that that was exactly what he had in mind, the Ghadial king added that it was not cool for Besharam to stumble in here onto their bowling alley. If he wanted to watch their annual tournament, he should have bought tickets online when they went on sale. Or in the pre-sale exclusive, 
for Platinum Club card members. Besharam explained that this was his field. He had been raising crops here. And if the Ghadiyals kept playing here, they would destroy him financially. Besharam and his lovely daughter would starve. And then who would marry her? Because it was a medieval Indian father's job to worry constantly about how and when to get her married. Raja thought about that for a while and said that he had a solution that Besharam would love. All he had to do was to arrange his daughter's marriage with the Ghadiyal king. Besharam was shocked. What? What did Raja even mean? How was that possible? How could an educated, cultured, civilized person be married to an animal? The Ghadiyal king shook his head. That's harsh, my dear father-in-law. You can't call your daughter an animal. Well, what could Besharam do? He couldn't very well force the Ghadiyals out of there. So he gave in. Deal, he said. Raja nodded in agreement. He blew a whistle and within seconds, all the Ghadiyals disappeared into the nearby stream, including Raja. Besharam hurried back. He had to quickly do something about the situation before the Ghadiyals came back. All of that night, he kept trying to get a match out of the medieval Indian equivalent of Bharat matrimony. And that medieval Indian equivalent of Bharat matrimony was basically the local gossip club. People with so much time on their hands that they naturally used it to poke their noses into everyone's business. But it worked. Before dawn, Besharam had found a boy who agreed to marry Dulhan. Dulhan woke up the next morning and was shocked. Piles of profiles that her dad had read all night. And what Besharam had told her shocked her further. There was someone whom her dad had promised to give her away to, but then decided he would instead have her marry someone else? How did they end up here? What about doing college and MBA and setting up her own business and all that she wanted? But I guess living in a patriarchal society leaves you with little options. So she grumbled and complained, but no one paid any attention to her. Her marriage was going to be with this other guy, coincidentally named Dulha. And why wait for the next auspicious day? Pesharam asked. No time like the present. Let's just get it done before breakfast. That way, 
We can even say on the costs of hosting a lot of guests. There was a problem though. The barat or the groom's procession never arrived. Later, it turned out that they were on their way. But a group of khadiyals appeared out of nowhere and snapped at the horse that Dulha was riding. Naturally, the horse was scared. Unseating the groom hastily, the horse bolted for the high hills. It being presumed that said high hills were ghadial free. The absence of the horse would have been okay. And Dulha's family had arranged for a backup horse for just such a reason. But the problem was that Dulha had had a bad fall and ruined his clothes. No way was Dulha going to appear in dirty clothes. Not for his own wedding. So the wedding would have to be postponed. The wedding would have to be called off, Besharam corrected. He couldn't wait. The Ghadiyals might return. So Besharam pulled out his next few backup options. By now, it shouldn't surprise you that something or the other kept happening that sabotaged each of those options. There was one prospective groom who slipped on a banana peel and fell into a cauldron of soup. Rumor had it that the peel had come from a banana that a passing ghadial had been munching on. Then, there was the other prospective groom who had an accident while fishing. It really was strange how a tree branch managed to fall exactly on a boat that was so far away from shore. But no stranger than a meteorite from the sky neatly hitting another groom's little toe and putting him in a cast. For weeks. I will give Besharam credit for his perseverance. But there was a point beyond which he could not continue because he was rapidly running out of funds. It seemed that the Ghadiyals were going to get what they wanted. And so, reluctantly, Besharam made a decision for his daughter. Just like he had made every other decision on her behalf. He reached the part of his field that was now slowly recovering from the Ghadiyal's bowling tournament. But it wasn't. It wasn't recovering anymore. It was destroyed again. Not by a bowling alley, but by a large tent. The Ghadiyal's were all there, and they were all richly dressed. And the tent was decorated, as it might be, for a wedding. When he asked what was going on, he was told that Raja was getting married. But Besharam's relief was short-lived. 
because he saw his own daughter's name on the decorations. He decided not to fight it any longer. Fine, whatever. Let's get this over with, he told the Ghadiyals. If I don't have a choice, I might as well enjoy the festivities, he thought to himself. So while his daughter sat on a stage with Raja and a Ghadiyal priest chanted all kinds of shlokas, Pesharam sat back. He drank very well and he enjoyed the music. They even had a live band, playing a genre of music that he instantly regretted asking about, because it was crock and roll. Although one of the members of the band wasn't quite up to the mark. If Pesharam had to guess, he needed to work on his scales. Pesharam even tried to make polite conversation with some of the other wedding guests, including one who seemed to be talking exclusively in hieroglyphics. Apparently, that Ghadial, for some reason, considered himself an Egyptian crocodile. A polite relative explained later that that Ghadial was just living in denial, making Besharam wince again. The wedding concluded and it was time for Dulhan to leave with Raja. She stood at the river bank and looked at her new husband. Dulhan felt that it wasn't as terrible as she had felt in the intro of the story. Let's get on with it. Shall we? she asked. Do you have an underwater breathing apparatus or something for me? Besharam heard Raja say that she wouldn't be needing one, after which the farmer could not bear to look. He turned away and his last sight was of his daughter standing there knee-deep in the water and all those ghadiyals crowding around her. Within seconds, they had all disappeared. Besharam had a terrible time after that. His guilt kept eating away at him. He often went to the river, but there wasn't anything. Until one day, he received a package. It contained bricks. Lego bricks, to be specific. He didn't know what to make of it. He chuckled at finally having made a dad joke after all. The sad part was that he was no longer a dad. But he was jumping to a conclusion because in the package there was also a letter well, just a sentence scrawled on a little piece of paper. It said, Daddy, if you want to see me, just toss a brick into the river. 
if Pesharam had been at all involved in his child's education, he would have recognized Dulhan's handwriting. But he didn't. He did take a leap of faith though. And so, he approached the river cautiously. He took a brick from the package and threw it in. He wasn't expecting a splash, considering the size of the brick. But he got one anyway. And not just a little splash, it was a huge one. The waters parted. And there was a surprisingly dry staircase leading all the way to the bottom. Pesharam was astounded. But then he looked at the manufacturer on the bricks. They weren't actually made by Lego, but by someone called Moses. As if that was supposed to mean anything. Wrong folklore, probably. Besharam made his way down to the bottom of the stairs, between the huge walls of water. And then he reached a door in the wall next to him. Politely, he rang the doorbell, and a ghadial guard appeared. The guard looked at him up and down and said, Whatever you're selling, we don't want it. Besharam tried explaining who he was, but all he got was disbelief. Your daughter married my king? I don't believe it. The disappointed father was stumped. He had no idea what to say or do next. He couldn't try to suddenly sneak past this 20-foot ghadial when it had about 120 razor-sharp teeth. Luckily for him, though, he was heard. Just inside the door was a massive palace, and in the tower closest to the door lived Dulhan. She had survived, and what's more, she was breathing, perfectly normally, without a diving suit. Raja had been right after all. She didn't need underwater breathing equipment. Dulhan rushed to the door and welcomed her father in. The Ghadial guard apologized for being so suspicious. In his defense, he said he was just doing his job. Dulhan took her father inside but only after a lengthy tour of the palace gardens. That was just to give her maids some time to hide all her handbags and shoes. You see, those handbags and shoes were made of... Well, let's just say that the crocodilians were avenging how many of their family members had been turned into purses for humans. Finally, when they went in, the table was set for dinner. Dulhan served the tastiest of fish dishes, and her kitchen staff 
had laid out the finest crockery. Naturally. But there was something else at the table besides just dishes and silverware. At the head of the table sat a handsome man. Besharam looked on at this man and wished that his daughter had been married to a man like this instead of to a slimy, scaly reptile. Now, if he had kept quiet, all would have been well. But he didn't. He said it out loud. At which point, the handsome man calmly introduced himself as the slimy, scaly reptile his daughter had married. Also, Raja said that the scaly and reptile was a bit redundant, wasn't it? Since all reptiles known at that time were scaly. Raja went on to explain that there was a curse on him, beauty and the beast style. He had been a little arrogant and a witch turned him into a ghadial. But only when he appeared above the surface of the water. Underwater, he was himself. And what's more, he got a few magic powers too. Including that by just waving his hand, he could construct a mansion for his father-in-law and give him heaps of gold. Right there, to his right, where there was just the empty river bed not a moment ago. Raja said that Besharam could stay there underwater if he wanted and not to worry about breathing underwater in case Besharam hadn't noticed it he had been comfortably breathing without any trouble. It might be too much to expect if Besharam had actually apologized for his mistakes. But I guess he was just being true to his name. As he prepared to retire to his new mansion and his piles of gold, he did finally think of the right thing to say to his son-in-law. See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile, Raja replied. That's it for this time. In keeping with the tradition of the show, the names of the characters represent the roles they play. Besharam means shameless, but can also double for unscrupulous. Because that's what the farmer tried to do. Dulhan is a Hindi word that means bride. Dulha means groom. And Raja means king. The story is set in Punjab. And Ghadiyals were observed in the fields near the Indus River. Quite a regular occurrence before close contact with humans drove them towards becoming critically endangered. Ghadiyals are some of the longest crocodilians alive today. They have about 110 to 120 
razor-sharp teeth. In a narrow snout that is especially adapted to catching and eating fish. Thank you to everyone who responded on the poll. Both the Mahabharat and Tanali Raman got a large number of votes. So in the next episode, we are back to the Mahabharat. We'll see what happens when the Pandavas try to stay in a palace that is a massive fire hazard. Well, maybe the obvious red flag was that it was gifted to them by their cousins, who had never gifted them anything ever before. Thank you all for the comments on social media and on Spotify's Q&A. I can't directly reply to the questions there, but I'll address them here on the show. Thank you for the feedback, Purnima, Rez, Wamsi and Samay. Wamsi, you're right. I do know everything exactly. And I can tell you who exactly made the palace in Lanka. I'll add that in many texts, Vishwakarma refers to a profession, meaning Mayasur was a Vishwakarma too. So I can confidently assert that Lanka was constructed by a Vishwakarma, who may or may not have been the Vishwakarma. Vamsi, your other question is also pretty good. And yes, Mayasur does appear in both the Ramayana and the Mahabharata. And in that, Mayasur is not alone. There are a number of other characters who also appear in both. There's Jambavan, Agastya, Hanuman, Parshuram and Vibhishan. Not to mention a slew of gods and goddesses. And of course, the Rishi, Durvas. Of those, you should be least surprised about Durvas. That Rishi shows up to spoil the funnest of parties and to darken the brightest of moods. We'll very likely run into more of these overlaps in the future. If you have any other comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories that you'd like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or tweet at sfipodcast or reply to the questions on Spotify's Q&A. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. A big thank you to each and every one of you for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.